0: I want to be about young leaders and handing off the baton constantly and equipping the next generation.
1: Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Man Talks podcast. My name is Roger Nairn and I'm actually sitting solo today. Connor is traveling down to San Diego for a a little conference uh, before we get started with our interview today with Brad Lominick, I wanted to thank our sponsors, Van City Buzz. Do you love Vancouver? Stay connected to your city with the latest in news, events, sports, music, and more with Van City Buzz. Check out vancitybuzz.com or search Van City Buzz on social media. So, as I mentioned, today's guest is Brad Lominick. Brad Lominick is a strategic advisor and leadership consultant specializing in influence, innovation, generational issues, and business strategy. He's a sought after speaker at conferences, churches, and colleges, as well as the author of the Catalyst Leader. His new book is called H3 Leadership, which we'll be digging into lots today. For over a decade, Brad served as a lead visionary and president of Catalyst, one of America's largest movements of young Christian leaders. Under his watch, Catalyst convened hundreds of thousands of influencers through his high energy and experiential leadership conferences across the United States. Before running Catalyst, he spent five years involved in the growth of the nationally acclaimed Life at Work magazine and was a management consultant with Cornerstone Group. Before that, he served as a foreman for Lost Valley Ranch, a four-diamond working guest ranch in the mountains of Colorado. Brad served on the advisory board for Suffered Enough, the A21 campaign, Red Eye Inc., and Praxis. And Brad is with us today to talk all about his new book, H3 Leadership, which is about creating leaders in today's world. In H3 Leadership, be humble, stay hungry, always hustle, Brad Lominick shares his hard-earned insights From more than two decades of work alongside thought leaders such as Jim Collins and Malcolm Gladwell, Fortune 500 CEOs, and startup entrepreneurs. He categorizes 20 essential leadership habits organized into three distinct filters he calls the three H's humble, who am I, hungry, where do I want to go, and hustle, how will I get there. These powerful words describe the leader who is willing to work hard, get it done, and make sure it's not about him or her. The leader who knows that influence is about developing the right habits for success. Lominick provides a simple but effective guide on how to lead well in whatever capacity the reader may be in. So with that, let's bring on Mr. Brad Lominick. Hey Brad, thank you so much for joining us on the Man Talks podcast. We really appreciate you uh,
0: being here with me today. Thanks, Roger. Great to be with you, man. Awesome. Uh, so,
1: just like we like to do with all of our other uh, guests, we always like to ask the question: if if you can tell us a, a defining moment for you
0: as a man. Well, let me let me give you two, if that's okay. Uh, Absolutely, because because one is is more of of a boy to turning into a man or trying to. Uh, I I remember the first time I went. I grew up in Oklahoma, and uh, I'm the son of a football coach, and my dad was. Uh, what i would consider to be a man's man and he he uh we we did a lot of hunting growing up and i remember the first time i got to to go with him to do quail hunting and here i am carrying my bb gun which is worthless you know but i think man this is like a machine gun it's it's got the potential to take down quail and take down any kind of bird and uh, i'm going to fight off all the bad guys and but that for me was a I remember the first time I got to go and it was like this entrance into into this new world of wow like this is what it feels like and looks like to you know be a hunter gatherer and to go out and bring back food for your family and so all those you know all those dreams and elements of I think childhood for me were really culminated in that one moment of walking into this new realm of standing and walking beside my dad while while he was hunting and I felt like I was as well even though I couldn't shoot anything um the second one would be more career wise and I remember the first time that uh John Maxwell gave me a chance to sort of lead something and really that was that was the catalyst movement and you know it was like I was being tapped on the sh- shoulder to basically take something that a hero and a mentor of mine had had helped start and create and built and put a lot of time, money into it. And then for me to take that baton. And we didn't have a ceremonial like baton passing moment, but there was that sense of, okay, Brad, what are you gonna do with it? Yeah.
1: It's interesting. I can hear sort of a, a theme running through both stories, and it's kind of that baton passing, and it's sort of you know take the reins, you can do this sort right. of uh, sort of thing.
0: Yeah. So it was it, it was not a uh, it was it was not as defined of a single moment, but it was that sense of of I think you know a, a leader saying to me, it's time for you to lead, and not just for you to lead, but you for you to actually take what I've built and i've put in a lot of hard work into and make it better. And, and there's there's that, so much that hap- big,
1: yeah, there's so much that happens when another man hands another
0: man that those reins like, and just gives them the confidence to to go forward. Right, because here's what he was saying to me at that point. He didn't have to say it, but he was saying this. I believe in you. Uh i am i am i'm honoring you. I re- I, I know that you're going to take this and make it better than i was ever able to make it. And when you have somebody who says to you, whether they articulate it or not, I believe in you because I'm giving you something that, that I'm, that is so important to me that I'm willing to let you steward it now. I mean, that is a massive dose of just absolute, like off the chart, vitamin C confidence. You know what I mean? Like it, it just injects you with so much life and, and lifts you to the places that you, you know, I'm. I I realize it and I always do in my life and my leadership that I'm not that smart like I'm I'm not that good. I'm if people if people sort of knew the real story they would go, "Wait, Brad, you don't deserve this." And I'm I'm looking at them going, "I agree with you. But so much of my story has been built on the on the shoulders of other people who said, "Take this and run with it."
1: Awesome. So, so let's fast forward to to where we are today, and and where you know what you've you've uh, you know made of those past experiences. So, just to give a little bit of context for the listeners, wondering if you can
0: share, you know, sort of what you what you're up to today and, and what your role is. Yeah. Well, for the last uh, twelve plus years, I was involved, as I mentioned, with something called Catalyst, and that was a leadership movement that John Maxwell, who's a legendary leadership author and written lots of books on leadership. Had started along with a handful of other leaders, and he uh, allowed me to take that and and run with it. And so I led it for uh, ten plus years, and that was incredible. You know, we did conferences; we do conferences all over the country, all over the U.S., and primarily built around the premise that that uh, everyone's a leader, uh, everyone has influence, and then we we really want to gather the younger generation and. We started Catalyst with the premise that that uh, we wanted to really impact the, the the first half career leader in the sense that those in their 20s and 30s. And over the years, I mean, it, you know, it started the age, and we all got older, and our attendees got older. But there's still a there's still an intentional focus for Catalyst as well as me personally that I want to really impact the next generation. I, I want to be about young leaders and handing off the baton constantly and equipping the next generation, understanding the young leaders that are now walking into so many of our organizations and our nonprofits and our businesses and churches and, you know, the, the, the the new leader who's walking in does look different than the leader who's been leading. And so for me, that's been a theme throughout my, my, throughout my career. And just to, you know, give more context for my own story. Um, I went to school at university of Oklahoma. I graduated with a history degree, which is pretty much worthless for all the, for all the history degree majors out there. They're, they're high-fiving me right now because they're saying, Brad, I know. Like, I feel the same way. That was the most worthless degree ever. Um, but, you know, I, I got out of school and thought I wanted to go to law school and then quickly sort of got connected into this ranch, this working guest ranch in Colorado, which is a whole other story. And I rode horses and worked on a ranch for almost five years and uh, then then got connected to John Maxwell through a number of circumstances and people and relationships. But you know my um most of my career journey so far has been in the realm of leadership and conferences and putting on events and aggregating connecting gathering leaders and then equipping them and releasing them to go you know be the best version of of the leader that uh, they can be within the circle of influence they have
1: so in a lot of ways you're influencing the influencers
0: yeah, you know, and that's that's really my calling statement, Roger like I mean not um. I felt that at an early age and it wasn't an arrogant statement. It wasn't like, man, I want to be about the 1% or I want to, I feel like that, that I'm supposed to have impact on people who are playing at the highest levels of power. It was more that I felt this, this pull and this nudge and this sense of calling to be the person who was willing to connect people who are standing out in front and who are willing to step out in front and, I saw it at an early age. I mean, I remember in first grade, uh, Mrs. Weaver's class in first grade. Man, like this is Bristow, Oklahoma, <laughs> population five thousand. The the class has twenty seven kids in it, and here I am, a first grader, six years old, and by day two, Roger, like I knew everybody's name in the class. I'm making trade deals in the cafeteria. You know, so, <laughs> JoJo's got Cheetos, and Susie has you know a Oreo pack and. They want to trade and I'm getting a milkshake out of the deal, you know, just for being the the one who negotiates the the trades, the middleman, middle you got it. Like, and I saw like all of a sudden on the playground, you know, I'm the guy who's, who's, who's coordinating the, you know, the recess game. And it, when you see that, and when you feel it, you don't even know what to call it, but that was, that was leadership showing up. And uh, so, so many of us, you know, if we look back on our childhood, we'll start to see patterns and We'll start to see that calling, sort of that purpose statement, start to weave into our life and, and show itself. And, and so that's always been my sense of what I was supposed to do on this earth is to influence influencers. And, and here's, you know, I'll, I'll, we'll move on. But here's the thing for me that is so important with that, and I've learned this over time, is that my job in that is that I have to be willing to build a platform that other people can stand on. And, and that's what I did at Catalyst. Like For 10 plus years, I created a, a leadership conference organization and movement that had power to build a stage and a platform and an environment where leaders would show up, thousands of leaders. And, and my job at that point was not to stand on stage and be the hero. My job was to put other people on the stage and let them be the hero. Right, you, You're and a facilitator. You got it. I'm yeah. an aggregator, facilitator. I love standing off to the side of the stage, you know, or backstage and watching that happen. And it, it's hard sometimes because you look at it and go, well, at the end of the day, I could be out in front and I could be the person that's getting all the glory. But my role ultimately is best in the shadows. And that's taken me a while to figure out. But, man, I love that idea that I could just sort of be behind the scenes, the the wizard behind the curtain, you know, like actually creating... Something that's 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 awesome.
1: So you know you've you've used this word movement a few times, and and I know I I know that's a word that a lot lot of people use, but you you know you have in fact created a movement. So it's a very broad question, but what is the secret sauce to creating a movement, if there if there is any?
0: Gosh, uh, I I I don't know if there's one answer. I'll say this: Um, And Seth Godin, I think is the is has been so much for me of the of the voice of expertise on on tribe building and and movement building but you know the the biggest thing is is making the the community feel like they're the owners and that's been really important for us at every level of building catalyst over the years was how do we how do we push down the the power the the decision making the the influence the um, the the sense that we're, we're elevating people to the lowest levels or the farthest circles of con, of concentric influence out away from the core, and that's been a huge um, it's been a huge intentional strategy. What I mean by that is when people show up at a at a catalyst event, as an example, that they feel like they're the ones who are creating their own experience, and that's a hard thing to do. It, it feels like kind of pie in the sky, but We've been really intentional about that over the years. The other thing is, is authenticity. I mean, if you want to build a, a, a movement, you have to create something that's believable, and you have to create something that is so real and transparent and vulnerable that you're willing to almost uh, you you almost move to the place of off-shucksing it. Like, man, I you know we every, at every turn you're sort of apologizing uh, for you know for mistakes or for vulnerabilities or for things you're not doing right. And but but that's actually a good strategy because the, the the idea of a movement has to be built on the premise that I believe that everything about this network, this tribe, this community, this group of people is true, and so many so many of us, especially today, like we we automatically now don't trust something that feels bigger than ourselves, whether it's politics, whether it's business, whether it's education, whether it's um culture whatever it is entertainment like our natural affinity now is to say I don't trust you because you're doing something big and and this is why like so many of so many people are 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 they're passionate now about the DIY thing do it yourself well there's a reason behind that it's because now I can control it I can I can know that everything about this is true because I'm the one in charge of it and so as soon as something gets big, and we always said this at Catalyst, like the early days, we were we were trying to make ourselves seem big in the sense that people would call our our number, our phone number, and we would pass the like, we would pass the phone, uh, literally like between each other. We're right. sitting at the same desk, and they're like, we're like, hold on, sir, I'll yeah. get his assistant. And then you know, it's like the same person that just answered. Let, um, me, see, let
1: me see if he's in the country.
0: Exa- right, exactly. Yeah. Like we we were trying to make ourselves seem big. And important and influential. Once we started getting big, we went just the opposite way. We, we were intentional about being really small. And practically, that meant that as the guy who was running it, me, Brad Lominick, like my e- email address was on our website. Um, I, I wanted people to feel so accessible to me. And I'm not a big deal. I'm a knucklehead. But like, reality was, is that all the people who were connected to Catalyst, they wanted to feel like they could connect to Brad, the guy who's in charge of it, anytime they wanted, and that was so important. Now, most of them never even reached out; they never emailed me. But just the fact that we would, like, we were trying to be small. We were, we were very intentional about personal touch, personal care, customer service at the highest level, and um, so that's a really big lesson. Is you know, as soon as you start feeling big and like you've got now some influence, and people are listening, and you've got thousands of folks who are sort of showing up. That's when you have to start thinking again, like you did when you started
1: very cool um you know before we move on and, and i i I don't want to move on because I want to learn more and more about how to create this you know this movement because that's that is what we're trying to do with man Talks. but I have to ask you know you have an affinity for influencing the younger generation and and obviously part of that generation is the elusive millennial mm. um, how I, I work in the I work in the marketing and advertising world and and you know we're we're always trying to have conversations with millennials and understand millennials and how do you influence a millennial knowing that they are so different than other generations
0: well i you know the first thing is is that i i believe that that millennials are just like any generation that's come before them in the sense that every generation before has looked at the next generation and said oh you guys you know you don't get it you don't work hard you're you're not willing to you know invest time and energy, and I had to walk up hills, you know, both ways to school with snow, and it's like, come on. I yeah. mean, this, this is the same story. We different. only had 3G. Exactly, right, exactly, yeah. The same story, different verse. Now, here's, here's what's unique, is technology has sped up things so fast and globalization and all the things that everybody would, would agree with of, of now the change, the rate of change is so fast that we are speeding up the, the gap we're actually lessening the gap, I'm sorry, between generations. So what used to be 20-year gaps is now like five-year gaps or four-year gaps of totally different mindsets and perspectives between a 22-year-old today and a 16-year-old today. And that's not just because one's in college and one's in high school. It's because everything about their world is, is being sped up based on the, the, the change of technology and other things. So that's reality that we have to walk into. Um, I believe 100% in the current young generation. And I think there's so much about them that is positive. They they do want to change the world. Um, they believe they can change the world in their 20s. Uh, the The hard part is now actually giving them a, an appropriate sense of reality. Because so many of them, if they don't change the world by the time they're 29, they're depressed, they're home, back with their parents, in the basement, you know, eating Cheetos and and in, in their underwear trying to start a blog. And at that point you have to kick them out. You have to say, no, seriously, go find a, go find a house, like go get a job and, and get in the game. Mm-hmm. Be- but the, but the starts the hard part. Yeah. The hard part about that is they there's such pressure on them now because the, you know, the Zuckerberg effect, I mean, ev- everybody watches these new startups and Facebook and every other company. And they say, the expectation now is that I have to be able to truly change the world and create something so monumental by the time I hit 30 that if I don't, then what's the point? And you know, so faithfulness, that's that's my big, my big sort of constant message to young leaders is is be faithful. Just go find something right now that it may not be your life calling, it may not be the ultimate dream job, it may not be the thing that you want to do at the end of the day, but go go figure out what that is right now and go crush it. Like just be the best in the world at whatever thing you find yourself doing today. And because today will lead to tomorrow and the now will lead to the next. Uh, So that's, that's my big message to them. And the thing for us who are older is we have to be willing to put them in the game way earlier than ever. And because that's the expectation now, is if, If I'm not going to sit around as a 20-something and wait on you to age out, I'll I'll just go start my own thing or I'll go find another place to get in line and quickly get elevated. And I love that, actually. I love the idea that, I mean, over the years at Catalyst, like interns would come in who were 21 and they would sit down with me and we would sort of do the state of the union of, of being on the Catalyst team. And I would say, what do you want out of this? year long internship. And I loved it. I loved it when they said, I want your job. Like, come on, man, bring it. Yeah, like, it's that thunder. Uh, now, are they ready for it? No. Are they are they wise yet? No. Do they have experience? No. But they do have a reality, whether it's false or, or real, <laughs> that I can actually do this right now. I, I can step in and and be in the game. And so you're going to have lots of failures. You're going to have lots of uh, picking them up off the, off the floor. You're going to have lots of, uh, you know, bodies laying around. Uh, But that's the expectation that young leaders have is that I want to be part of a culture where I don't just, I don't just get invited into the room where the, where the ideas are, are, are started and also decided upon. And I don't want to just sit in the room at in the corner and just get to listen. Because that's what I got to do. I got to sit in the corner and listen. Young leaders today say, I want a seat at the table. Like, I want to actually be at the table where we're making those decisions. And so as much as you can, old leaders or older leaders, uh, bring them into the conversation. And it'll feel weird and awkward and claustrophobic and dysfunctional and schizophrenic. But that is the expectation today. And, uh, you know, young leaders will, there, there is nothing about this generation that is disloyal. And that's a that's a huge like asterisk next to this generation is oh they're not committed, they're entitled, they're disloyal. I don't agree with that at all. What they are is they they are they are the generation that has options, and it's the free agent generation it's I'm not disloyal to you. I just have opportunities in lots of places along with my own opportunity. I can just go start my own thing, so what we have to do is is understand that and then help them. Navigate that by putting them in early, giving them responsibility, giving them authority, letting them run with things. And you know, you watch the great organizations today, and they're led by younger generation. That the, those those twenty somethings and, and early thirty somethings are the ones at the front of the decision making tree. And this this is just a new reality. It's the first time ever, and I'm 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 going on way too long here. But it's the first time ever that we've had a generation of of workers who are now leading primarily somebody who's older and this is hard it's a hard thing it's a hard tension but you know that's that's also part of the new reality is it doesn't matter how old you are anymore it matters uh what you can do and and what you know and this is the knowledge generation they they have more knowledge than anybody ever so Awesome. I'll stop. I'll stop there.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. This is this is awesome. Um, you know, it, it's such great wisdom and and so, you know, in, incredible experience that you're sharing with everyone because you've you know you're living it as we speak, and it seems to be a question that that's coming up all over the place. This whole you know, millennial thing. But I, I absolutely agree with you. So, you know, you you've had all this all this experience with Catalyst and 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 uh, your your relationship with John C. Maxwell, but you've turned it into honestly qu- qu- quite. Quite honestly, one of my favorite leadership books, which is called H three Leadership, and I'm wondering if you can share with everyone, first of all, what H three stands for and what the book is all about, and kind of where the book came
0: from. Yeah, well, it stands for uh, humble, hungry, hustle. H three is is those three words, and the the subtitle of the book, actually the title of the book, is "Be humble, stay hungry, always hustle." And then the uh, the, the overall uh, the overarching premise is that that for me is my leadership life mantra. And I've, I've lived, I've tried to live that out since my 20s. Um, I didn't articulate it as well in my 20s. But that's, that's been something for me that's always been this three legged stool that I wanted to stand on as a leader. And over time, it became, for me, um, not just a, a pithy slogan, but it actually became this, this, uh, the this sense of who I am, and the DNA of my leadership would come back to that. And obviously, you know, humble Hungry, hustle. We we have words. We have we have a thought in our mind when we hear those three things, um, and that's true for all of us. the The premise on that is humble answers the question Who are you? Uh, hungry answers the question Where are you going? And then hustle answers the question How will you get there? And there's habits that go with each of those three buckets. So there's 20 habits overall in the book that um, that try to give practical clear application of well how do i actually live that out what does it look like to you know have a, a habit of humility well it's built into you know some key habits that fall underneath each of those three buckets so that's the overall premise of the book and so let's, key- let's
1: if it's okay with you i'd love to break down you know each of these so you know in in that humble uh buckets uh, what does that look like
0: well i mean the overarching idea of humility is daunting because anybody who says to me oh i got humility like i got it figured out i'm good but my first response is well hold on no you're not because humility is a that's not that's something you never arrive at um if 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 you feel like you're a humble leader then you're probably not and so this is one of those things that you're constantly sort of leaning in on of man every day i have to fight to live a and to live out this idea of being humble and and it's a posture that we constantly have to try to navigate. And I don't do it well every day. I mean, I, I struggle with it um, because every time a leader gains more influence, which is true for all of us, if we're, if we're personal growth junkies, if we're trying to get better, if, if, if our goal is to, you know, to navigate success well, to push the envelope, then everything about us is moving away from humble. We're moving toward arrogant because all of a sudden we have a story That is worth telling, and the more power and influence we gain, the more opportunity we have to basically look at everybody else and go, "Look at me, I'm awesome, man! Like I'm leading catalyst. I'm, I'm started, you know, uh, a new organization called Mantox. I'm hosting a podcast with with influential global leaders, Mm -hmm. and so all of that fights. Throw that up on
1: Facebook and see how many likes you get.
0: Exactly, like everything in our world is navigating this tension of what does it look like to to be humble. And so the premise is this, like at the end of the day humility means that the story is bigger than just me. And I'm part of a bigger story beyond myself. And the first part of being humble is is knowing yourself. And so we start the book with with, you know, self-discovery, the idea that I've got to know myself well, all of my good and bad in order to be able to lead myself well, which then allows me to lead others well. And so we walk through several habits in the in the humble section, but I really believe that the key part of humility is, is this idea that I'm self-aware. I'm so self-aware that I'm willing to walk into any environment and lead from the real me. And, you know, this goes back to authenticity. It goes back to like the, the idea of transparency. And I've heard Pat Lincioni say this so many times, and I love it. Like the old days of leadership were where you okay no you can know yourself but man you better make sure you fake it because there's an expectation on you as a leader that you have to have it all together that you've got it all figured out and so you just hide everything behind the curtain um, you push all of the stuff that you don't do well and all the things that you you know you you don't want to talk about into the corner and you know the idea of never let them see you sweat that was the old adage you know don't don't let people see your pit stains. Well, I think nowadays, and this is what Pat Lancioni says so well and I'm just um, I'm I'm passing on his his phrasing, but you know, it's like when you stand in front of your team, man, raise your armpit and and point underneath there and go, "Look at that, guys. Can you believe the pit stain I got working today?" <laughs> that is awesome. Right. You know, and that's the difference. That that's the that's the that's the humble leader who says, "Man, I know myself so well." that I'm willing to be okay with the fact that you know myself well. And here, here's what's true about every leader, Roger. If you have a team or, or people around you, you have a family, you have kids, you have um, a staff, they already know all that stuff. Like they already know all the stuff that you aren't good at. I mean, you walk in and you go, okay, guys, today in the staff meeting, I'm going to have a vulnerability revolution. I'm going I'm to all of a sudden become transparent. And let me, let me share about the fact that I struggle sometimes with my type A-ness. And sometimes I become a real jerk, you know, at certain times of the day because I'm so pressured around that decision that we have to make on a, every afternoon on a Thursday. Well, all your team is looking at you going, yeah, we already knew that. We, we already know you struggle with that. We already know that that's a total dysfunction of yours. But every team wants to see their leader and understand that their leader knows the, the leader that they know meaning that you're self-aware of your own stuff, just like your team already knows it. And that's where so many people have reality deprivation syndrome as leaders. Like, they just, they walk through life and they walk through the day and they live in fantasy land and their team is looking at them going, seriously, like, you, we know that about you. and And so the goal of leaders today is not, you don't want to vomit all, all your stuff all over, you know, you don't want to like, Take this to the whole other level where people walk out and go, "Oh my gosh, man you, you went too far, you told me too much but but you are leaning in constantly with the understanding that uh, you have to lead from your true self and and every time, every time you do that you're building equity with your people you're 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 creating these moments of of connection with your people, and I want a leader who is real every time compared to a leader who is right. I want, I want an authentic leader compared to a perfect leader and there's no perfect leaders anyway. So th- it's just, this is, this is the new posture you have to walk in with. Very cool. So
1: the next H in the, in the H3, uh, uh system is, is hungry. And, and yeah. with with hungry, you know, you, you ask the question, where do I want to go?
0: Yeah. Well, in, in Hungary is that, is the idea that I've never arrived. And I love, I mean, the, the best example for me of people I know, and I've met a lot of these people who I admire, who, who have the posture of, of constantly improving and constantly learning. And John Maxwell, for me, lived this out. I mean, I watched John as the guru in leadership. He would go to a conference, he would speak, and then, then he would sit on the front row, and he'd get his notebook out. But I watched him at events where he was on a panel With other people, and he's getting his notebook out in front of the rest of the panel while on stage, awkwardly. You know, the yellow pad comes out, and he's taking (laughs) notes of the of the things that people are saying next to him.
1: Right.
0: But I love that. I love that idea that that even though I feel like I'm there, even though I feel like I'm now the man, even though I feel like I've arrived, I'm writing books and I'm the expert. I'm still not good enough. I'm still willing to keep leaning in and have a posture that says that says, I'm going to keep improving and keep learning. And There's,
1: a, there's, a, great, there's a great quote that you, that you give in the book, and then it says, greatness is not a destination, it's a journey. You arrive yes. at greatness. The goal is to set a standard that scares you to death and then continue trying to raise that standard.
0: Well, and, and, and what happens for a lot of us is that once we get to wherever the goal was, especially early in life or, or early in our career or that, that hunger, we all kind of raise our hand and go, Oh, Brad, I got that, man. Come on. Like I am so I'm so ambitious about getting to the CEO role. Like, or I've I've now launched my company and it's four years in and we're killing it. What happens to many of us is we start coasting. And that's where the greatness, we we reach the destination of the greatness that we've put in our mind. And now all of a sudden it's not it's not a destination anymore because we arrived. So now it's just that sense that we're we're on the other side of the mountaintop and we're just sliding down. To the end because you're never going to arrive right? you never arrive exactly and and that's the beauty of the the idea of a hungry leader is that they're constantly whether they're 25 or 85 there's a sense that that I understand I haven't arrived yet, so therefore I'm going to keep getting better and, I, and my posture' is going to be constant improvement, constant learning and you know i I, I have a, a friend who's a mentor of mine who's old, and I mean they're in their 80s. And every time I sit down with them, they get their notebook out. And I just want to look at them and go, isn't this the false picture of what this should be? Because <laughs> right. like, I should have my notebook out, listen to you. And, and their, their response is, no, I'm Brad, I, you, I can learn from you just as much as you can learn from me. And that's a hungry leader. You know, it's somebody who says, everybody around me now is my case study. You know, it's, it's, my, it's my classroom. And um, the great leaders are the ones who are the most curious that's a, that's another of the habits in this section is curiosity and I, I mean, when I meet people who who are typically in the places of power and influence, you know what they do more than anything else they they ask me great questions. They don't necessarily give the answer now they could give the answer, but their posture is one of i'm going I'm gonna absolutely pound you with with questions because I'm so curious. Because my curiosity factor is 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 pushing me to keep getting better, and and this is like this is a this is a Brad recommends to every young leader out there listening is that if you want to gain influence and credibility with somebody who, who is who is more important than you are, or who is higher up the food chain, or who's three three levels above you in your organization, ask really good questions. Don't don't show up in the meeting and feel like you have got to have the right answer. The the, the best way to gain credibility is by the curiosity factor of a really good question. And I know I saw this when in my early days. I mean I I would ride I mentioned Lost Valley Ranch. I mean I'm 23 and a and a wrangler at a at a four diamond guest ranch in the mountains of Colorado. And I'm taking people out on horseback who are CEOs and captains of industry and large nonprofit leaders and these are like these are some pretty important people. And I would absolutely spend an hour or so hammering them with questions. And we would get back to the, you know, to the ranch or after the ride of an hour. And and they would typically say, that was incredible, Brad. Thank you for that experience. You know, and, and typically they would, they would like offer me a job. I'm like, do you realize that I work on a ranch and I don't know anything about the you know, bank consulting group or I don't know anything about uh GE or I don't know anything about the tech industry and they're like, I don't care. I just know that you built credibility and this is not what they're saying, but this is what they were saying. You gained so much credibility with, credibility with me because you were such a good question asker. Very cool. And and so our our, our
1: final H uh, is hustle. How do I get there? Yes. I love hustle. And, but I feel like I feel like hustle is, is one of those words that that people are sort of just throwing around these days. And it's kind of they like, are. you know, it's a bit of a buzz buzzword. It's sort of like mindfulness was last year. I feel like right. hustle is that that new sort of term that everyone's throwing it, throwing around. You hear Gary Vaynerchuk talk about it. You know, Lewis House has talked about it a lot. But what is hustle?
0: Well, and, and I think everybody has a picture in their mind. You know, like, uh, when when we say hustle, Roger, like everybody listening now is thinking of something like they're They've got in their in their mind a picture of what that is. And most of those pictures are probably part of the story of hustle. Uh, I, I would describe hustle as you're you're willing, you're willing to work your guts out when needed. Um, you're also you you also have a posture that says, I'll do whatever it takes to get it done. You also have a posture which says, I am going to execute. I'm gonna finish. And to me, that's the biggest part of hustle is is I will take the ball across the finish line. And um, the the thing that we need most out of our teams and people and leaders, for that matter, and this is why, for me, this is the most important part in many ways of the book, is because today's reality of the economy and culture and organizational life we live in, more than ever, we need people who who make it happen. Um, because there's, there's a tendency for all of us to... To move back towards the dreaming stage and ideation and let's talk about it, let's meet about it, let's concept it, let's brainstorm it. And man, we got we got a lot of people who can do that really well. But the thing we miss a lot of time, the thing that's missing a lot of times is who's gonna take this ball across the finish line. And and that cannot anymore be delegated because now we most of us are are walking into free agent environments. We're walking into um, small entrepreneurial organizations. We're we're walking into startups. We're walking into this new age of organizations that don't have, don't have the hierarchy that says somebody will take care of that. I'm just going to be the idea person that sits in the corner office and drinks spritzers and puts my feet up on the table and watches everybody around me. All my people make things happen around me. That might still be true, but majority of us don't walk into those kind of environments anymore we We walk into small, nimble team structures that say everybody on the team has to be willing to get it done, otherwise we're not going to move the ball forward, and so that's why I think it's so important and that's how i would I would best describe it is get it done, take it into the end zone, score the touchdown, take it across the finish line, make it happen, and you know Seth. I love Seth Godin. I mean, I keep coming back to Seth, but his thing is ship it. Like you got to get it out of the warehouse, and that's a that's to me somebody who hustles is somebody who takes it and says we will push this into the world. We've been talking about it forever. Let's make let's get it done. Let's let's get it out there. And um, the other side of hustle though, which for me is a, is is also important, is that I put three. Habits into this section that a lot of people fit, they they're surprised by. Um, one of those is margin, which means that you have to create margin in your life in order to be able to hustle at the right times. And you know, margin is the idea of of rest. It's the idea of Sabbath. It's the idea of rhythm in your life. And you know, so this is this is where I would contradict sometimes the other hustlers who say, "Man, just." absolutely red in redline your engine for 20 years basically kill yourself and then and then go and like take all the spoils of of your work and enjoy it no wrong because yeah. i
1: feel because i feel like that's what everyone I mean, that's what most people have as a picture in their mind of hustle is this kind of balls to the wall mentality that that ultimately you know could end up more destructive right. than than anything
0: Yes, exactly. And so that's for that's why margin is so important. Like you have to create rhythms. So it's not about it's not that you're you're it's not that you're um not willing to work hard. And it's not it's not that you're not willing to have certain seasons of your life that you are balls to the wall. You are like crushing it. You are like, you know, total redlining it on your engine. But you have to you have to manage that with a rhythm. And if you don't have a rhythm of of rest and of vacation and of play and of, of life, uh, life balance. And I say balance with an asterisk next to it. Cause I don't know if there truly is a balanced life, but I, I know that there's a rhythm of life and, you know, so that has to be part of this. The other part for me is generosity. Generosity has to be part of your hustle. So as much as I am hustling to like, you know, to, to make money, let's, let's use that as an example. I'm hustling with the idea that, okay, like I do want to create a return and margin in my life of profit that gives me opportunity. And that opportunity then becomes, I can make decisions for myself as a leader, but I can also impact other people through my willingness to be generous. And that has to be part of this whole hustle equation, which is, I see that there's this whole other world going on that I have to be willing to invest in and be part of and and, and willing to take all the things that I create and give those away, or at least be willing to have that kind of, of intentionality. Um, and then the third thing, which is, again, different, is, is legacy and succession. And the the idea of hustle that I would say is the true definition is that, is that every time you, you, you do something well and you crush it, part of your job as a leader is to pass it on and to get out of the way. And 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 in
1: in the book, you have a great quote, which says that one of the most difficult lessons for leaders is to learn how to let go.
0: Ooh, man, it is the hardest thing, especially for founders. Founders are the worst at this because it's their baby. It's their
1: baby, absolutely.
0: They they don't, they, they're not, they're not not letting go because, because of anything other than they, they want to protect it and see that it continues to, to thrive. And, and the, the reality is, is that the best way for it to thrive is many times by handing it off. Because you have you you have got it to the place where um it's now it's now needing a second life. Or you you know you've taken it as far as you can take it. Or there's somebody else that is now gonna, you know, they're gonna take pa- the passion meter to the next level. And but this is true in any at any level of an organization. Every single leader in any organization at every level Part of their job is to be handing off and to be uh, creating a legacy by proper and healthy transition and succession so that that means that like the intern, your job is to replace yourself um, the the front manager, your job is to replace yourself because because the the, cause
1: the, true, the true you know the true leader it, it worries about what the what the organization looks like five, 10 years down the road, and it's the sign of a true leader that the
0: organization is thriving five ten years down the road exactly and that's so true yes i totally agree and the idea is also that you age out out you age out or you experience yourself out of certain roles and this is this is like if you're type a you you already kind of have that mindset but but so many of us we coast we get to again we get to that vp level and we think i'm good now like all my whole my whole sort of posture on life now is i'm going to protect and hoard and uh coast for the next 10 years, because I've found a place that I can that I can hide and, and sort of find the least resistance to the finish line. It's like, well, that's, that's sad. Man, no, like, go crush it and, and move up to the next level, or move out to the next level or move on to the next level. And that should be your posture that you're, you're finding people who will be able to take your job so that you can go do something that only you can do. And If you find an organization like that where there's a sense of legacy, constant succession and transition, healthy transition turnover, man, that's the place I want to go work. That's the kind of cultures that people thrive in.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Well, you know, we're almost ready to wrap up here. Uh, I definitely, I, I, I've i read the book myself. I think it's incredible. I, and I definitely recommend all listeners to go out and get it. Um, you know, I, I think somewhere in the book, it says that, that the world needs leaders who can work hard, get it done and make sure it's not about themselves. And and I think that this book is a great guide for creating those types of leaders. Um, you know, before we go, I have just a few more questions. Um, you know, for those that don't know, you you have uh, this, this idea of, of the young influencers list that you put out. Yeah. Of the world. Um, I'm wondering if you can kind of explain that. And, and and as you're explaining it, I'd love it if you could maybe share who is a young leader or, or a, you know a leader these days that you're that you're you know you you have your eye on that perhaps we've never even heard of.
0: Sure. Well, I started it in 2008, which now is gosh, wow, eight years ago. That's in dog years. That's in <laughs> in, in, in blogging years. That's like forever, right? The dog's um, dead. Yeah, exactly. Right. But it was, it was just my idea that I was running across uh, a bunch of young voices and influencers and, and leaders who didn't have a platform. Uh, and I couldn't necessarily put them on the stage at Catalyst events because they just weren't ready or it just wasn't right. And there's only a few spots anyway, you know, when you do a conference. So I wanted to create another outlet for a bunch of young, for the most part, pe- people who would not uh, be known by others. I wanted to give them a, a platform to be able to be recognized. And so that was really the, 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 um, the motivation behind it. And, you know, now I've had 500, almost 600 leaders who have been on that list over the last eight years. And I do it once a month, um, usually six or seven uh, people get put on the list. And there's no rhyme or reason to it other than these are just people I meet or they're friends that I, you know, uh, trust that say, hey, you should, you know, you should check out this person. Um, under young, here's how I describe it or define it, Roger is, is primarily, um, I'm looking for those leaders under 35. There, there are some that are in their late thirties or even early forties, but for the most part, I'm looking for that 18 to 35 year old. Um, which is really kind of, for me, the, the place that I think a lot of leaders are when they're at that stage of life, they're, 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 they're hard at work trying to build their platform. They just don't have one yet. And so to answer your question on who has been, uh, either, you know, a, a sort of one of my favorites or current favorites, I, I would probably say, uh, Caitlin Crosby stands out for me and people won't even probably recognize Caitlin's name, but she started something called the giving keys. And if you haven't heard about the giving keys, you, you soon will. Uh, it is probably one of the most, um, recognized social innovation organizations in in LA. And now they're, um, you know, they're, they're being worn by tons of celebrities. Uh, and her idea was that she basically wanted to, she basically wanted to do two things. She wanted to create a necklace with a key. She had stayed in a hotel, in an antique hotel or an old fashioned hotel that had like the old time key. She was like, that's cool. Like, and she asked the person at the front desk, hey, can I take this key? And can I keep it? And they were like, Uh, sure. So she took it and she put it on a necklace and all of her friends were like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. Like that's, that's fashionable. And, and so she had this idea, well, what if I, you know, started creating this as a fashion, um, as just a, a piece of jewelry. And then she, she was, she was introduced to, um, a lot of homeless friends in the city of LA and she decided, well, maybe I could like give them a chance to have a job by, by giving or making these keys with me. And so the idea with the keys is that, uh, every key has a word on it. So like, uh, you might, you might have a key that says, that says, uh, courage on the key. And so if you get that key, then your job is to find someone who inspires you around courage and then give that key to them. And so it has this whole pass along value and, um, Yes, very much so. So if if you haven't heard of it, check it out. Google Giving Keys or Google Caitlin Crosby. But she's uh she's been a young, inspiring leader who has really just uh taken the world by storm and also has made me uh I, I'm I'm I I have some giving keys. I don't wear them. I'm trying to figure out if it's appropriate for me as a you know, as a manly man to wear one. But a lot of <laughs> a lot of musicians and artists and entertainers in Hollywood, men and women are now wearing them.
1: So, maybe you can like hang them from your golf clubs or something like that. You,
0: yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. <laughs> from the mirror. Yeah, the, yeah.
1: <laughs> the mirror in the truck, right? Awesome, Brad. Before we go, what is uh, what is the legacy piece look like for you? What you know, what what, what, what do you want your legacy to be?
0: Well, I mean, I, I, mine is uh, is similar. If people have heard John Maxwell talk about what his significance look like for him, mine's similar. And you know, success many times is built on on ourselves. But significance many times is built on the success of others, and so I want legacy for me to be that whether it was influencing thousands with Catalyst or nowadays I influence more like hundreds through consulting and speaking and writing and advising. But I want my life to be about other people succeeding and other people thriving and other people flourishing. So if if that's if that's at the end of the race, when I get to the end of the race, if I can answer that question of did I help other people be more significant and help them flourish in life, if I can answer yes, then that's legacy for me.
1: Awesome. Awesome. And how can how can listeners learn more about you, the book, and everything else that's going on
0: in your world? Yeah. Uh just my name is is the best way. Brad Lominick. That's L O M E N I C K. So that's my website, BradLominick.com, all the social media outlets I'm just by that name, uh, and Twitter, book, Facebook, h- Instagram, all what? of those. Yep. And then the book is h three leadershipcom or you can just go to myname. dot com and find it there. But I'm not on MySpace anymore, unfortunately. So no, all the MySpace no, people, n- nobody is. Yeah, no, and all the MySpace people and all the Mindspring or Juno or AOL <laughs> <laughs> folks. uh, Sorry, I'm not there anymore. Right.
1: AOL. <laughs> Remember AOL? AOL? Remember they used to send you a CD with AOL? Oh man, yeah.
0: I had I, I like I like. I've, I figured out a way to get like hundreds of them and then I would sell them for a dollar to my <laughs> friends who didn't know anything about, you know, that they were actually free in the mail. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> you were an influencer. Let's try it, man. Let's try Awesome. And and for our listeners that they want to learn more about Talks, they can go to mantalks.com. We've got all of our blog posts and any videos of our events, which are going to be going live soon. We've got also got access to all of the podcasts that we've had, um, some incredible guests we've had in the past for that podcast, you can subscribe to it on iTunes and Stitcher so you never miss an episode. And of course, please leave us a rating on iTunes. It helps to, to really man it forward and, and get as many uh, people listening to the podcast as possible. Thank you so much for listening to the Man Talks podcast. And thank you to you, Brad, for being on the Man Talks podcast. Catch us next week for another inspiring conversation with an inspiring man.